This is The Guardian. Hello, pod fans. Max here. We've got something slightly different for you today, although very similar as well. A chance to listen to the first episode of The Guardian's newest podcast, Women's Football Weekly. Uh, Holy Fake Others and Guardian football writer Susie Rack have Robin Cowan and Johnny Liu to look ahead to the Women's Euros. Uh, various panels will be broadcasting three times a week. There'll be some of your favourite panellists from Football Weekly, some new voices as well. Um, you can download it wherever you get your podcast, The Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Here is Faye to introduce that tournament preview. We hope you enjoy it. The Guardian Women's Football Weekly is supported by Visa. Hello, I'm Faye Carruthers and welcome to the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. It's almost here. It feels like we've been talking about it forever, but the Women's Euros finally kick off on Wednesday. Woohoo! You can't miss the Lionesses, whether on crisp packets, drinks, bottles or billboards. Ellen White was even projected onto the white cliffs of Dover. We've seen them draw self-portraits of each other, tell us all about their journeys. Last time I'll use that phrase, I promise. But now it's time for the football to do the talking. Feet don't fail me now. Maybe we need a new theme tune. We'll find out who the panel are tipping for the title, look ahead to all the groups, pick out some of the favourites, plus take your questions. And that's today's Guardian Women's Football Weekly. The Guardian Women's Football Weekly is supported by Visa, a proud sponsor of UEFA Women's Euro 2022. Visa knows competition is at its best when everyone truly has the chance to take part. Whether it's a player competing on a world stage or a small business taking control of their economic future, Visa recognises that we'll only see the best of all of us when everyone participates. Their technology and tools help entrepreneurs turn small ideas into big businesses, wherever they are. Find out more at theguardian.com slash all hyphen win. Our very first panel. How exciting. Susie Rack, it must feel like Christmas. It is, and I think I think it's all down to me that you're actually even in this room, right? Like, if I hadn't given you a plug adapter, you'd be on the streets of zero <laughs> poverty after paying fifteen euros a time for meal deal sandwiches or something. That is absolutely true. The hotel that I was staying in in Zurich for the warm up match against Switzerland had only Swiss plugs, no euro plugs which meant I was completely I had no straighteners I had no curling tongs but most importantly I had no power for my phone until Susie Rack saved me so that I could actually set my alarm for my 705 flight back to the UK the following day I mean I'm basically a hero you are a hero uh Robin Cowan law the photograph that you sent us yesterday on the group of your little boy Morris sat on the sofa reading through the Guardian women's euro pullout just tugged on my heartstrings Oh, we're nothing if not on brand in our house. We've got to got to be the Guardian <laughs> supplement. And what a fantastic supplement it is too. Oh, excellent. Well done. Extra bonus for Robin Cowan. <laughs> uh, Johnny Lou, live from Edgebaston. No bonuses required. He's working. Yes. Um, and, you know, I, I, feel like, um, I feel like I'm trying to concentrate on, on two things at once. The cricket's about to start. But, but you guys have my full attention for at least the next 25 minutes. <laughs> Um, and, and proud to be proud to be a part of podcasting history as well. Yeah, it is podcasting history. And actually, the multitasking, if you go with every single stereotype on the planet, which is totally incorrect anyway, all women can multitask marvellously. So uh, welcome to the crew. Uh, now then, we're somehow going to get you through everything that you need to know about this month's Euros in approximately 40 minutes. Wish us luck. Uh, whether you were at a game back in 2005 when England crashed out of the group stages of their last home Euros, even if you remember 1984 maybe, when we reached the final of the first ever edition, which was two-legged by the way, or if you've never watched a single second of women's football, this summer is going to be a tournament to remember and we'll be giving you a unique analysis of it. Uh, we do have a few rules though. It's not seminal. It's not a massive moment. Journeys are important, but so is the football. There are a few more we don't want to hear either, Susie Rack, aren't there? Oh, God, there's a whole list. If I hear one more, this player 
did this when she was 15 years old or worked in a chip shop or whatever it may be. I, I swear I'm going to cut out my eyes or something or ears because it's hearing. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. please don't do that. I mean, we need your mouth only. So if you did those other two, then you'd be fine for this. Uh, right, listen, let's kick things off with Group A, shall we? And England in particular. They're in a group with Norway, Northern Ireland and Austria. 14 games unbeaten now under Serena Wiegmann. 12 wins, three goals conceded, one Arnold Clark Cup trophy lifted. Does anyone want to give me an argument why exactly England won't win, Robin? Um, They definitely can, but you know, only one country can win it and it's very difficult. And it does, I know it, everyone's been saying this a lot, but really it's, there's so many favourites for this tournament and it just depends on who is consistent, who has the momentum, who cuts out, has the least amount of mistakes and though that country will be the one that wins it, England could be that country. But even this group, having looked at it, it's going to be tricky. Norway look in really good shape with Ada Hegerberg coming back and then, you know, lots of talented players. So we've seen Wrighton, you know, Caroline Graham Hansen. Austria, I do think they shouldn't be underestimated. They were unbelievable in their first tournament at Euro 2017. Um, I did them a lot and they were so organised. It was like watching table football. You know, they frustrated Spain. They nearly got past Denmark to get to the final. And I just think they probably would have just got better since then. Uh, They missed out on the World Cup, but a lot of them have, um, you know, they play in the Bundesliga, which is a good league. So, yeah, I, I think it's quite good that England have a couple of difficult games to start with, you know, they're in good shape themselves. Um, so, I mean, it, the short answer is they can win it. They definitely can. And if they do, they are going to have to do it a difficult way because, as we've seen, the kind of progression, which I don't like doing because that's very presumptuous, but uh, the net quarterfinal could be, is it Germany, Spain, Denmark, you know, very difficult. So whoever wins this tournament will have, you know, really put in the hard yards. So I'm tied as to what I do here because, Johnny Lou, I would put you down as sometimes cynical, perhaps more of the pessimistic than the optimist. So I was about to say, tell us why England can win it. But I reckon tell us why England won't win it. Well, I think England will win it. And I, I, I know it's, it's kind of a, bit, a shot in the dark, really, because, you know, you could make a, a pretty strong case for, I guess, any, any of six or seven teams winning it. And because it's it's that close, because it's the, the the quality across the board is so high, it's really going to come down to those little moments. It's going to come down to you know probably a penalty shootout at some stage. It's going to come down to a moment of brilliance or or a mistake. And, and I think tournament football is such a different a different animal that when you have a team that genuinely believes that it's it's their time to win, that they feel like they have this this cohesion, this sort of wave of momentum behind them, that can genuinely be the difference against teams that are, you know, on paper of a very similar quality to them. And England are, I think, the team who have that quality. I, I, I know this isn't, this isn't very cynical of me, but the, 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 it doesn't, <laughs> this is very off-brand for me. But <laughs> I love it, though. But you, you, can, you can feel something. I mean, you saw it during, during the warm-up games where they, they got, you know, they basically had a pretty poor first half against... Holland, you know, they, they had their pretty poor first half across the point, and then they they just kind of they surged across the line. Something they they built and built and built, and and I, I don't think that's I don't think that's a vice. I don't I don't think that's a weakness at all. That that ability to build to a crescendo, to hit those emotional highs when you need to, is the sort of thing that marks out tournament winning teams. So at the risk of looking stupid, I, I think I think England are possibly best positioned to win, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if they were there on, on the thirty first of July. I heard someone say that it's the best chance for England to win it in the most difficult tournament to win it in. Um, and I think that sums it up pretty well. The The competition level is so high. But as John is saying, I, for me, the difference is the bench and the depth of the squad. It's absolutely immense. I can't see any other bench that is as strong as theirs potentially going into this tournament. And you could be worried that in the last three warm-up games 11 of their 12 goals have come in the second half but that as Johnny was saying is is a good thing right it shows that they can work their way out of a problem can manage their their, their way through a game 
and yeah, I, I mean, I agree with Robin that I think Austria is going to be a really interesting test for the first game because you've got, you know, Zinsberger, the most clean sheets in the Women's Super League in goal uh, last season. You've got two Arsenal defenders in the back line, Sara Zadrazil in the middle. Like, they, they're actually a really, really well-organised team. So I think, you know, many people are thinking they're going to rock up to Old Trafford and, and walk it. But actually, that's that's going to be a tougher game than many expect. And and a little bit of a benchmark if England do win comfortably, I think. Yeah, let's talk about that opening game then. Obviously, the whole tournament kicks off with the home side on Wednesday against Austria at Old Trafford. But will Austria kind of think that they can perhaps embarrass England in front of 70,000 people? Because it could be the biggest Euros crowd ever, first and foremost, Robin. But I do think Susie's exactly right. People are massively underestimating Austria. Yeah, as I said, they're actually a really well-organised team. You know, they're building something. They've got quality as well. Zadrazil is a real quality player. I mean, England should win. And you'd hope that um, it was actually in the supplement that Karen Carney was talking about the home crowd and how, I mean, we all saw it in the Netherlands, didn't we? It was fantastic. I just wonder if uh, if our fans can live up to that because uh, we're not, I don't know, don't want to bring Johnny into it because I'm the same. We're not quite as colourful, <laughs> I don't know. As the Netherlands crowd, you know, they, it was brilliant. And also, actually, maybe in that situation, they weren't actually expected to win the whole thing, were they, even though it was the home? I just hope that the whole country and the crowds inside um, the stadiums can really get behind the team and be, you know, do what the Netherlands fans did for them, because that that could be key. And if that happens, then Austria shouldn't really have a, have a chance. But there's big expectation now on England, big expectation. And it's just how they handle it. But having read loads of interviews with the players, it seems that Serena Wiegmann's really good at kind of taking that pressure off, taking, I think it, one of them said, the emotion out of it and just kind of concentrating on what you need to do. And um, yeah, I mean, in terms of the manager, I think England are in the best shape possible going into that first game. Trust in Serena. Yeah, it does feel as if these warm-up games have maybe created more questions than answers, Susie. And actually, we had a tweet from James earlier on who said, who's going to be the centre-forward for England? Beth England is brilliant, but I don't think she's shown her true form for England that we see for Chelsea. Ellen's been used from the bench for City and may struggle with so many games in a short space of time. Alessia Russo looks like the one in form. Yeah, that's true. Um, I don't disagree with any of that. I would say Ellen White, while she's come off the bench for City a lot, she's been sort of rotated in and out of the squad as and when they've needed with Bunny Shaw because I, I don't think City necessarily play the way that gets the best out of Ellen White all the time. Um, Bunny Shaw is a like different option. It's not that she's sort of dipped in form per se. It's more that they've just mixed it up a little bit in terms of what they want to do shape-wise and... So yeah, I like for me it's hard to drop Ellen, but Alessia has done really really well in the past couple of games, and it's probably the closest. Myself and Tom at Telegraph asked Serena whether she had considered Beth Mead uh, through the middle at all, particularly after um, the game was it against the Netherlands where she sort of popped in and scored, and Beth England was just a little bit behind the ball, um, and Mead was there in the middle. Um, so yeah, we, you know, we kind of watched that and asked her that, and she sort of gave us a really like wry smile and sort of said, "That's a really good question. How do you know we've been thinking about that?" Um, and she said, "You know, obviously it's not something they tested, but it's something they've got, you know, sort of there as an option in the back of their minds." And for me, that's like quite a good option. And then you, Frank Kirby can also play in that position too if needed. Like she, you know, she has played up there for Chelsea, so. There's a lot of very, very good options. For me, it's hard to look past Ellen White, you know, record goal scorer, always has turned up in big tournaments. I'd say she carried England pretty much through that 2019 World Cup run. So it's nice that we've got choice, I think, is the the best way of putting it. Yeah, we have got choice. And actually, for, for those who perhaps haven't followed women's football particularly closely coming into this tournament, we, we probably need to touch on on Serena Wiegmann's pedigree and why she's such a big character in the game and what it is about her that can potentially lead England to lifting the European Championship, Robin. Yeah, I mean, I, the only downside I'd say is she she didn't join till after the Olympics. So she's actually only been in charge since September last year. So it's that's actually not a long time, especially, you know, there's not been that many games that have really tested England. The World Cup qualifiers were a stroll, to say the least. And 
So I think probably in a better position had she come in a little bit earlier. But, you know, in terms of getting the best person for the job, I don't think there was anyone better. All the other kind of candidates had slight question marks over them, I think. I think Jill Ellis was mentioned, but, you know, we've heard subsequently that some of the players weren't exactly massive fans of hers. She knows how to win. She knows how to win a home tournament. I mean, it's just all of them sort of match up. And most importantly, she just seems to manage the players well. I think we've seen, like with Gareth Southgate, it's not necessarily, you know, how great a tactician maybe, although I'm not saying she isn't, but creating a good environment for these tournaments is so important. And it just sounds like she's... She's really done that. And, you know, I think we'll get on to it. But when you look at France, <laughs> you can't really uh, compare the two. Her in-game management, I think, is actually superb. And when I've sat down and talked to her, she's actually had a lot of long conversations with Gareth Southgate and said they're both human people. I mean, obviously, they're both humans. But I think what she means is that they're good people managers and they understand how to get the best out of players by treating them like humans rather than just players or pawns, however you want to kind of kind of say it. And I think that's that's a really good quality that, that she has and could potentially take the team forward. Um, Robin mentioned Norway, Johnny. Obviously, Arda Hegerberg is back. Caroline Graham Hansen pulling the strings. Guru Wrighton scoring all the goals as well at the minute. Does it feel a little bit as if we're underestimating this Norwegian team and they they could end up being dark horses, perhaps. Yeah, possibly. I mean, Norway are are an exceptional team. I mean, I, I saw, I caught a little bit of their, of their game against Denmark, which obviously they, they won 2-1. And the combinations that they were producing up front, the, the way in which they could cut Denmark open and obviously that, you know, that, that strength in the air. But yeah, there, there was certain, if England go into that game expecting anything less than... than an absolute fight, then you know they are going to get turned over, and it is such a it is such an important game as well. You know, England want to win their group. It is so important that they win their group and and set themselves up for the rest of the tournament. Because if, if they don't win their group, uh, you're then playing the, the winners of Group B. That's, that's probably going to be Spain, although you know it could be Germany, it could be Denmark. But yeah, there, there's definitely. I think there's an element of. When the draw came out, you see Northern Ireland, okay, you see Austria, and then in Norway, you're almost like, well, okay, uh, that's an easy group because you know your eyes are drawn to towards the smaller nations, and I think people are possibly underestimating the extent to which Norway can cause them problems. England are going to have all the pressure on them. If, if the Austria game is anything less than a convincing win, and, and Austria, you know, obviously they will be able to treat that game as a free hit. Almost. So, so if, if that's a difficult game, the pressure then goes on that, you know, England in that second game. If the first 20 or 30 minutes, then, you know, it, it, it's nil-nil, if Norway take the lead, then that pressure ratchets up again. And then, then you find out what that team's made of, whether they can struggle through those moments of adversity. The only thing I would say, if Lucy Bronze starts, then England will win because she's obviously going to score a banger against Norway because that's just what happens. <laughs> That's just written, isn't it? Of course, after that that win in the World Cup back in in 2019, uh, we have to touch on Northern Ireland, Susie, because you know I, I don't want to talk about what a moment it is necessarily for them because that's patronising. But it's a absolutely incredible that they've got to the tournament in the first place, made history. They are going under the radar, obviously, and particularly because England have beaten them quite convincingly in recent times. But what can we expect from them? Can they cause any upsets? I think it's going to be very, very hard for them to pick up any points in the group, disappointingly. I mean, they've got some great players. Obviously, Rachel Furness is a phenomenally good player, but you know, there's only so many ways she can carry a team um, and has almost carried them to this point. It was super impressive that they've, you know, qualified for the tournament. I, I think of, you know, all the home nations, they would probably be bottom of the list of, of what you would expect based on the development of women's football in Wales and Scotland as well. But it's not going to be easy. I mean, they're, they're going to be playing very much for, for pride um, and to cause an upset and will be very well organised. They've not looked too bad when they played England, particularly in sort of like the first half. And I think they're, you know, very easily overcomable for any of the other teams in the group. But, you know, you can't underestimate what um, 
what just being there and being the underdogs can do for the mentality of a team, you know, um, at grinding out results that, you know, the first the first save or the first block, you know, could really boost a sort of backs to the wall performance that, that could prove a little bit of a problem for some teams. And then they do have some good players, McGill as well, McCarran, um, that can counter pretty quick. Um, so it's just whether they can like make the most of the very, very few opportunities they have. Like I say, very, very difficult for them to get points and very, very difficult for them to score. But they're not incapable of causing an upset. So I think I know the way this is going to go in that case. Our first set of predictions for, for Group A. Who's going through to the knockouts and in what order, Robin Cowan? I think it's probably going to be England and Norway, but I'll just say I wouldn't be that surprised if Austria snuck in because, yeah. No, 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 no. I'm not having this. Okay, England and Norway. splinters in the backside there. There's four (laughs) teams in the group. Okay, possibly Norway on goal difference then or goals scored because I do do think Austria, people are underestimating them and I think they they might run them close. But yeah, I think England will win, uh, Norway Austria and I'm hoping Northern Ireland get at least a goal for the the fans to celebrate. Susie? Yeah, it has to be the same. England, Norway, Austria, Northern Ireland. But like like Robin, I like I hesitate with all of it in that I do think Norway could potentially nick the group. I do think Austria could, if England top the group, potentially beat Norway to second spot. So there's like it's not totally cut and dry. England should comfortably win it. They should. You know, they've done well against Norway in the past. Norway's defence and goalkeeper are not as strong as their like forward line and the mid- the midfield. Um, so in theory, we should be okay. England should be okay. But yeah, I just I'm slightly hesitant. That is on paper what should happen. Mm. Are you more decisive, Johnny Lou? I know you've gone to a quiet corner at Edgebaston uh, <laughs> because the cricket's just started. Yeah, I'm literally in the store coming. Uh, no, I, I, will, I will go England away uh, in that order with the caveat that I don't think England will get nine points. I think they will drop points at, 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 um, in one of their first two games. OK, all of these predictions will come back to haunt every single one of you, which is why I'm not making any myself. Uh, that's it for part one of the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. In part two, we'll discuss the rest of the teams hoping to spoil England's party. Women's Football Weekly is supported by Visa, who as well as being a proud sponsor of UEFA Women's Euro 2022, are helping support its growth through a number of different global initiatives. One of those has been taking place in one of this summer's host cities, Southampton, where Utilita have been running football camps with support from Visa. Southampton midfielder Shannon Sivright's been helping with the camps as part of her role as inclusion coordinator at the Saints Foundation. Shannon, lovely to see you. Can you tell us a bit more about what your role actually involves? So part of it is looking at our female engagement across all of our charitable projects. Other elements to my role is managing and overseeing our disability provision at the foundation and then some community-based open access sessions for individuals to get involved in football and sport. That sounds absolutely incredible. The football camps that Southampton have been running with support from Visa, why did Southampton want to set these up in the first place? What was the idea behind them? I think it's just an incredible opportunity for individuals within our local community to engage in football, engage in like Southampton Football Club, because football can be obviously so important for like social development as well. And I think Southampton Football Club like holds that like really important to them. Yeah, what kind of feedback do you get from the youngsters? I know the girls that were involved in the recent football camp absolutely loved it. You should see their like doors drop when you say that you'll be able to like train at the Southampton Football Club training ground. And one player in particular is going to be gaining more than more than most because they're going to have the chance to watch an England match. How important is it for young girls to have the opportunity to discover and play football and, and be able to watch it on, on the European stage as they will? I think it's incredibly important to expose individuals within our community with that opportunity because it's so important for young people to have like positive role models. And I think they certainly can see that more so in women's football now. And certainly um, with the England game as well being hosted at St Mary's Stadium, what an opportunity for our local community to be able to watch that. 
Shannon, thank you so much for sharing with us how Southampton and Visa are helping support the women's game. And now back to the show. Welcome back to part two of the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Now then, groups B, C and D. Let's start with the so-called group of death, insert those inverted commas. Eight-time winners versus new favourites versus 2017 finalists. And then there's Finland, Uh, Germany, Spain and Denmark and the Finns as well. We need to point something out. And that is, Robin Cowan, are Spain Barcelona... And if so, does that mean that they're going to brush teams aside exactly like Barcelona do? I think the answer to that, the short answer is that no, they're not Barcelona, even though most of their, I think, starting level will be made up of Barcelona players. Spain is so interesting to me because it's not not something, I, you know, I don't watch Spanish football an awful lot, but the manager doesn't seem that popular with many journalists, fans. I think there was a question on his team selection, the squad. They've missing Jenny Hermoso. And he refused to uh, put in, I don't want to try and pronounce this name because... Ameo Sariegi. We'll go with that. So she she had an amazing season with Real Sociedad. And so she didn't make the first squad. And they thought, oh, OK, Hermoso's out. Let's see who he brings in. He brings in another midfielder who's barely got any caps. And the other thing is he's just been handed a new contract until after the World Cup, which is bold. And, you know, their tournament record, Spain, is not good. And despite that, expectations are high because of Barcelona. So it's going to be um, fascinated to see how they do. I really am. It could be a total disaster or they could absolutely wipe the floor with this group. I honestly don't know. It could be either one. Yeah, I actually, you know, Spain have been bookies' favourites in England for quite a while. But I, for me, am saying that they're one of the ones that, well, I, I think they might not get out of the group. They've not got a huge amount of tournament experience, not got the attack, and they've got a manager that, like you say, questionable decisions, both in terms of personnel and then just the style of play of the team as well. They're so far from Barcelona. Yeah, I'm not I'm not feeling Spain. Wow, that's pretty bold, Susie. I'm loving that. Let's look at Germany in that case. If Susie's writing off Spain... Are the Germans the table toppers for you, Johnny Lou? I mean, they've won it eight times before. Yeah, I mean, in, in many ways, Germany are kind of the opposite of Spain in that they have they have all the pedigree in international tournaments. They have the history behind them, but not the form. You know, I think they've lost. Uh, no, they've won, won two of their lost six. Lost, you know, three of their lost five, something like that. They they look pretty ordinary during during the um, the Arnold Clark Cup. Uh, from what I saw of them. They lost to lost to Serbia quite recently, and you know there, there are a lot of question marks over them. I, I think we did our um, we, all the writers have to do our um, predictions, you know, for, for the tournament for the for the newspaper, which I think is, is coming out. And, and I, I actually tip Denmark as, as the uh, as the dark horses because I, I think a lot of people have written Denmark off because they see those two names in the group. But I, I, I think a lot of the time, the third team in that in a group of death can often s- slip through the net. Because they have very little pressure on them, very little expectation, and the, the top two are kind of looking at each other. So yeah, I mean, I think while that group does does look quite quite daunting, I, I have to go with Susie. I think I think Spain is slightly slightly overrated, and it's not it's not their fault that, that kind of the expectations just totally run away with them. And, and yeah, Germany. We all know about the the individual talent they have. We all, we all know about the, the young players coming through, but. But something doesn't, doesn't quite feel right about them at the moment. And, and I think Denmark could be the team to, uh, to capitalise. And of course, Denmark have Penilla Harder, Robin, and don't write her off or make her angry. <laughs> no, she's a quality player. And, uh, you know, they've got Nadia Nadine back. Um, she's recovered from an ACL. But, you know, she she's obviously, you know, rises to these occasions. You know, let's not forget they reached the final in, in 2017. And, you know, not to be written off. I just think all these Scandi teams are actually, they're so tactically aware and, and also technically proficient. So even though a lot of them will be playing sort of in so-called lesser leagues, perhaps, they, they know what they're doing. And I do think they're, they're very, very dangerous, as Johnny said. Just as an aside, I thought we should, I thought we should mention the Finns. You know, I was in Finland uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago and, you know, they're, they're, probably, they're probably not going to get through their group. But what was really heartening was how much... Uh, 
like how much visibility the, the, the women's team have out there. And uh, I think that's just quite nice. Yeah, and that is really nice. And actually, could they shock everybody? We were talking about Northern Ireland in Group A, potentially. It doesn't seem to be a lot of evidence, but they, they do have a solid set team, Susie. They do, and it's not unquestionable, but I think it's, um, you know, given the strength of Germany, Denmark and Spain, it's unlikely that they're going to cause much of a problem to any of those three. I mean, that said, you know, if a team takes a, a heavy knock against a rival for the group, you know, you, you don't know what their confidence is going to be like and you go up against a team like Finland and actually they can cause a little surprise. But yeah, I think uh, for me, that group, it's uh, it's Germany all the way, despite some of the, the issues they've had, sort of, as Johnny uh, mentioned in the build-up towards this tournament. You look at the Netherlands in 2017, they lost four out of their five pre-tournament friendlies. Um, and then go on to win it. And they've not, they were coming from a very different place to, you know, a team with Germany's experience in this competition and the quality of the players um, already. So for me, it, it's it's Germany away, but you can't totally write off a team like Finland. What's great about this tournament as a whole is that there's no team that you think is going to get absolutely massacred um, in the same way that you maybe have in previous tournaments. They're all quality teams. Okay, well, I'm going to make you all feel potentially foolish. We'll find out in a few weeks' time. Um, predictions for for Group B, and I'm having no fence sitting this time, please, Robin Cowan. Mm, it's so hard. I think Spain have potential to embarrass all of us, but I just think in before a ball is kicked, I think it's going to be Germany, Denmark, Spain, and also I do think Finland will will pick up points, but they're they're just so unlucky. They're in a really tough group, but I actually think they're in, they're a really good team, really good team. They had a fantastic qualifying campaign. Um, so again, if they're underestimated, you could the, whoever plays them could be embarrassed. Susie, you're nodding your head. Yeah, I'm the same. Germany, Denmark, Spain, Finland. I like again hesitate over where you put Spain, but it, I just how organised Germany and Denmark are at the back and the weakness of Spain's front line and how how different it is to the Barcelona front line. There's only so much Alexia Putellas can do. And yeah, they're two very, very organised teams with huge experience in this competition, both of them. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing Spain dropping out as well. Johnny Lou, do you concur? I'm going to go Denmark, Spain. Because I, I mean, I, I feel like Spain. I, I sort of, I'm sort of aligned with with you too. But I feel like one of us has to. I'm thinking for the podcast as a whole, we, we have to cover we have to cover our asses slightly, just in case Spain don't want to win. Like we as a podcast, like at least one of us has, has predicted Spain is going to go through, even though I'm, I'm no means I'm no means sure that they will. But yeah, I'll go Denmark. We will hang on your coattails if they do. That's the thing. So thank you. Absolutely, we will. <laughs> uh, group C, this is another tough one, really. Sweden, the Netherlands, Switzerland and Portugal. So the holders, Netherlands, the manager who lost the final in 2017 and the Olympic silver medalists in Sweden. Spoiler alert, Susie Rack's favourite, Sweden. Go on, Susie, why? Oh, good shout. Um, although I, I have jumped on the, the England bandwagon a little bit more recently um, after the five <laughs> performances. Um, they're just a very, very well-coached team um, with some very, very good players, young and old. They've got a real balance to the squad. Magda Eriksson, obviously hugely experienced with uh, with Chelsea, but yeah, great younger players like Hannah Glass. Black Stenius up top, Aslani, Rolfo, you know, we're talking about the lack of a front line for Spain. You've got Rolfo there, the Barcelona player in Sweden's team, leading the line with Black Stenius as well. They're just a very well-balanced, well-organised team and have proven in recent years that they have the ability to go far in tournaments. Obviously, beat England to bronze in the 2019 World Cup arguably should have done better at the Olympics um you know Canada beat them in the final but it was really sort of Sweden's tournament to lose without being too disrespectful to Canada who played a sort of excellent tactical um game throughout the entire competition and I I I just think those those near misses (laughs) will really have them riled up and the vibe around the team in in Sweden is insane they are all out for this team 
Oh, I'm with Susie. They look as I'd say England and Sweden look in the best shape, as you say. Fantastic squad. I know the manager Peter Gerhardson said it was so, so hard to whittle it all down because he's got so much strength and depth, uh, similar to England. And again, similar to Serena Wiegmann, he seems like a really emotionally intelligent person who knows how to manage this team, which is really important. Like that he's he's so into his music, isn't he? I think I read that he's got tickets to the Rolling Stones on the 31st of July. Um, oh. But he's, he said he's happy to give them up if they reach the final. God, can you can you imagine if he didn't give them up? No, sorry, I'm not going to walk out at Wembley on uh, the 31st. I'm off to see Mick. I'll watch it on my phone. <laughs> I love that. That would be hilarious. Um, the Netherlands, though, Johnny Lou. I mean, they looked really wobbly against England in the warm-up game. I don't know how much we can read into warm-up games, to be honest, because there's so many players just don't want to get injured. Um, there's so many experiments going on and, and things like that. Uh, Mark Parsons obviously has very big shoes to fill in terms of Serena Wiegmann's. Um, Vivian Miedemar said on a podcast, interestingly, that she personally saw this as, as a home Euros and bearing in mind how long she's been at Arsenal, you can understand that. But is that maybe a bit of mind games as well? I mean, yeah, Mick Miedemar is a, she's, she's a, she's a chess player when it comes to mind games. Like, uh, but you know, she, she has, she has half a point there. I mean, one of the, one of the lovely things about this tournament is that so many countries are, I think, are, are planning to bring pretty big contingents of, of traveling fans and, and the Dutch will be a pretty vocal presence, I imagine, at, at their games. As to the chances as a whole, I think that, you know, there is a, again, it's, it's a little bit of an unknown quantity. How much can you even to warm up games? But then, you know, in, in that in that early period against against England, you know, they could quite conceivably have, have scored that penalty and gone and gone two one up, and then suddenly you're looking at a at a very different a very different game. I, I have a you know I have a lot of respect for the Dutch. We talk about the the strength and depth of England. Holland also have you know they have they have a very good deep squad. Uh, you know, beyond Miedemer, you know, you have you have the likes of Martins and Daniel van der Dom, who 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 we know from from WSL, Jill Ruhr, who, you know, we saw the Champions League with, with Wolfsburg playing so well. And, you know, they are the defending champions. They have they have a confidence to them. And, and I'm, you know, I've been I've been very impressed from, you know, from what, what little I've seen of, of Mark Parsons as a coach. He seems like seems like an intelligent guy. He's got he's got his head screwed on. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of I, I make I make a point of never disagreeing with Susie when, when she's right. So I, I, I do genuinely think Sweden are the power in this group, but Holland should should go through with them. Mm. Uh, Switzerland and Portugal complete the group. The Swiss had some very big friendly losses: seven nil to Germany, four nil to England. Uh, what did we make of them? In, in Zurich, Susie, they did cause England uh, a few scares. Um, we know that the Netherlands aren't rock solid at the back necessarily. And of course, Nils Nielsen got a silver medal last year um, as manager of Denmark. Could that help Switzerland or is this pretty much a, a walk in the park for, for Sweden and the Netherlands? I I think it's a walk in the park. Um, I don't think Switzerland are the team they once were. They've got some great players in there, Mona Backman, um, Leo Volti, Noel Moritz, you know, like some big, big... Um, club teams within that within that Switzerland squad, but they they've gone off the boil a little bit. I would say in like the past couple of years, um, from actually looking like a team with a fair amount of potential. I think they 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 sort of peaked a few years back, and they've not really kind of recaptured that form. It, they're not totally incapable of causing an upset, like you say against England the other night. Particularly first half, they look quite organised, but then they tired very very quickly and. Yeah, second half, obviously, it, it was sort of light work um, for England. So they are going to struggle, I think. Interesting. And then Portugal, I mean, you've got to feel sorry for them, really. They were added so late to the competition, replacing Russia. Uh, they didn't even make it into the Panini sticker book. So, I mean, they don't exist, apparently. You've got to order them uh, separately. How much does that kind of late inclusion impact this group or, or, or does it not really, Robin? I think it's they're up against it, aren't they? I mean, I don't think they're an amazing team to start with. You know, they did them a bit in the last Euros and it looks like their squad's fairly similar and they kind of lack a, a real cutting edge. And yeah, I mean, I, I guess 
I guess they'll just treat it as well. We didn't expect to reach a tournament, you know, and the pressure's off. Let's just see what we can do. So that sort of mentality, maybe they could put in a few good performances. But I don't think, I think the fact, as you say, that they were such a late call up. But um, I guess they just have to seize seize the day, you know, get a, another tournament under their belt and see what they can do. Yeah, Ines Pereira, of course, familiar to Chelsea fans who saw her put in an inspired uh, goalkeeping performance for Servette. Um, I think this is going to be pretty straightforward. So I'm just going to go left to right. Robin, Johnny, Susie, top two, please. Uh, I think Sweden, Netherlands and Switzerland, Portugal. Sweden, Netherlands. Same for me. Sweden, Netherlands, Switzerland, Portugal. Straightforward one. Yeah. There you go. Well, we'll all look silly, won't we, if that group ends up being uh, as open as Group D looks because France, Italy, Iceland and Belgium, we know which team in this group has the best suits. Italy are going to be wearing Giorgio Armani during the Euros. Um, hard to know who gets out of this one, though. It feels like it's the most open group of, of the tournament and I also feel like uh, we could do an entire podcast purely on France uh, because <laughs> such as their build-up to every single major tournament been an absolute shambles, it feels as if it's same again. And we've had a tweet from Samantha who says, if France don't do well in brackets again, will it be the biggest waste of generational talent in the modern international women's game, Johnny Lou? Yeah, and I can't wait. Um, I mean, <laughs> bring it on. I'm with you. I'm loving this. There's something incredibly comical and, and frankly, heartwarmingly traditional about a French major tournament bust up. This one's happened. This one happened months in advance. I mean, they 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 really they they've managed to surpass themselves here. <laughs> wow. I mean, for, for anyone who kind of hasn't necessarily seen all the all the drama surrounding Corinne Diacre and her and her team, Susie, how can you sum it up as briefly as possible? Chaos. Um, uh, yeah, no, she's a, a pretty difficult person to work with by all accounts and has fallen out with a couple of key players um, that have been sort of mainstays of Lyon's dominating Champions League. Uh, side for a number of years, so Eugenie Summer, the forward, and Amandine Henri in particular, who people may remember from um, the Champions League final, absolutely wonderful goal to open things for, for Lyon against Barcelona. The fact that those two players aren't in the side, and also, you know, you think of like Buhardi, there's essentially retired from international football until uh, the managers change. So, like, you know, there's, it's, you know, it's not just those two players it's others as well um you know she took the captaincy off Reynard a while back as well which was another controversial move uh, somehow they seem to have um papered over over that gap to keep her included but yeah I mean it's just always been a little bit messy and I think part of the problem is is you know there's been a lot of calls for her to go at various points in France but the French Football Federation isn't that invested in women's football I think it's fair to say, like they've not pushed towards a professional league. Um, you know, much the frustration of teams like Lyon and PSG, who have sort of been pushing that from from their end and like sort of setting the standard in many respects in in Europe. Like you've got a federation that is a little bit hands off and and sort of leave them to it. How much is this going to affect things, though, Robin? Actually, on the pitch. Well, I think a lot. I'm the bloke in that gif eating popcorn, by the way. I'm with Johnny on this. <laughs> I am loving it. I just, it's the drama. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but yeah, it, I mean, I think Susie hit the nail on the head, though. Like, the fact that she's still there just shows a real complacency. Because from the outside, you just think, this is insane. Why, why is she still in the job when she's admitting players? Not because she's got some sort of tactical vision but because she's fallen out with them I, I just it's not a good look is it um so yeah I mean they may I think they, they'll probably get through the group but that's despite all this and I, I can't see them getting very far uh, and with the, regards to the listener question I mean they've never made it past the quarterfinals of a Euros it's just it's criminal honestly with the the team they have the squad they have um and that's on the federation and on, on the manager, because it's a great job, but clearly Susie's outline there, it's not something that's a priority for them. No, it doesn't seem like it is, but let's see what happens on, on the pitch, shall we? 
On to the other three in the group who could potentially put France in the same category as Spain and boot them out of the competition at the group stage. Um, Johnny, I'm going to come to you with this. However, I'd like to know where you are now because it feels like musical chairs and, and we're getting an insider look at Edgebaston from every single corner of the ground. Oh, right. I'm now in the press lounge at Edgebaston, which was extremely busy an hour ago when we started recording because it was full of people having their breakfast and, and now it's as empty because everyone's gone to the press box. I then went to the store cupboard, but then people started uh, because they're now preparing lunch. There are people going in and out and slamming the door. So I've now come through <laughs> to the press lounge uh, where, where I, I'm now. You, you probably can't see my face because I'm, I'm backlit by, by light. So I look like one of those. I look like a pensioner on road traders who've been scammed out of her. <laughs> I just had to have her have our identity protected by the BBC. Um, so, um, what was the question? Like to, well, I haven't asked it yet. I just wanted to know where you were, first of all. And uh, by the way, listeners, um, going forward, if you would like to read uh, Johnny Lou's cricket report and there are three wickets missing, you will know exactly why, because he's missed the beginning of the match. Italy, uh, a good one-all draw with Spain, some great suits on show, as we've mentioned. Bit of an older team, but, but perhaps, you know, it's their time. Yeah, I mean, there's been a there's been a bit of a buzz about about Italy, and I and I, I think that there's a little bit there's really a little bit less known about them because most of them, I think maybe all of them, play play their football domestically. They don't have superstars, you know, certainly not global superstars that you know we would be familiar with in the UK. Um, but certainly, you know, there seems to be a, a, a little bit of a, a little bit of a buzz about them at the moment. And I mean, I think that I mean, the, the wider issue. I mean, I, I can't, I can't really speak to, you know, their, their tactics or you know necessarily how they're going to, you know, how they're going to line up. But I mean, I think there's, it's it's one of the real potential growth areas in in, in the game for whatever reason, and, and you suspect you know, potentially you know, cultural reasons, economic reasons. Women's football has 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 been almost dominated by by Northern Europe and by the Northern European nation, and there is this real potential for growth amongst, you know, Spain. We're seeing we're seeing what, what what's happening there, and and Italy is one of those those real growth markets. Uh, Juventus have obviously been ploughing quite a bit of money into their their women's team, and and they're beginning to see the results of that. And you know, a strong performance by you know the likes of Italy, the likes of of, of Portugal even could really could really kickstart something uh, in that country. Iceland, uh, Robin. I mean. The team itself is fun. I'm not sure how much fun it's going to be if you have to commentate on them, which is why I'm very grateful. I am not a commentator and you are. And I'm just going to apologise. I'm totally going to muller this. Svein Dissions Dottir, Dagny Brynjars Dottir, who obviously plays for West Ham. And then there's been drama with Sara Bjork Gunnars Dottir. But does it mean Iceland are going to get a good packed out ground for all their matches? Could it turn out actually to be a a benefit of uh, for them? Of course, she criticised uh, the organisers of the Euros for, for using Manchester City's Academy Stadium in particular. Yeah, I mean, I think that one is my only gripe. I have a lot of sympathy with the FA. It sounded like that it was, you know, this was a long time ago when all this, when they had to organise this. They had to kind of, they weren't exactly, um, it wasn't easy people offering up, you know, their stadiums. I do think there is an issue of the spread of it. Um, you know, it would have been nice to have, you know, a Midlands or something. But the Academy Stadium, the thing is with that one, is that I'm, I'm not averse to having a full, smaller stadium, but it's the fact that it's not going to look full because you're not allowed, uh, UEFA tournaments, you're not allowed um, to stand behind the goals. So at least Lee Sports Village will be full, you know, and, and everyone's seated, whereas it's going to, I think it might look a bit rubbish on telly. So I do think she has a point with that one. But yeah, that's, I mean, we could debate that till the cows come home. I like Iceland. I think they, they could spring a surprise here and completely selfishly, I hope they do because they've got, I think they've got five mums in the squad. And I I'm know, that I love that. Brilliant. And I, I just, I'm representing, they're really, you know, I, I just hope they do well because it just shows, it really is, I, I know we don't like words like this, but it is genuinely inspiring when I see, when I read their stories about, you know, how they balance. And it also seems like the Icelandic FA are really good with childcare and how they make the parents comfortable. And still, we have a long way to go with that, I feel. So, yeah, I'm I'm rooting for them. 
Yeah, we could definitely do an entire pod on that. In fact, I did a, uh, for my MBA, I did a whole essay and uh, and piece on maternity cover for, for women in football. It's it's fascinating and so poor on so many levels. By the way, just want to mention there with the, the spread of the games um, that journalist Lawrence Mora messaged in today and said, disappointing, there's, there's no games in the West as well. And I think he's right. You know, it, it, it's just not, I know there are obviously extenuating circumstances and various different reasons, but it does feel as if it could have been spread out a little bit more. Last but not least in Group D and in this preview, Belgium. Uh, They held up quite well against England uh, early on, but only really got going against Northern Ireland after going down to to 10 players. Are, Are they a threat, Susie? I think they could cause a bit of an upset in this group. I mean, I, I, in a way, this is the most open group of the lot in that all of the teams are decent. And, um, you know, France may well significantly underperform, which leaves the door open a little bit and gives, I think, maybe everyone in that group a little bit of hope. Um, Tessa Woolett, as we know from her time at, at City, is a great player. And Belgium looked pretty decent, at least in the first half again, um, against uh, England in the warm-up games. They're not incapable of causing an upset again. And I'm hard pushed to pick between Belgium and Iceland for the upset in this group. But I think I think at least one of them will cause one. Okay, well, it's prediction time um, and I'm holding you to all of these. I'm going to go round left to right again. Robin? This is definitely the hardest one, definitely. Because <sighs> you just, France has thrown me. <laughs> it's just uh, totally thrown me. I'll, uh, I'll go a bit more controversial then. I'm going to go for Italy, Iceland, and then France, then Belgium. Wow. Johnny? If France and Italy. Susie? Uh, after all of my criticism of France, I'm going to, like, they've still got some great players. I'm going to go France top the group and Italy second. But I, um, I did heavily consider joining Robin on the France dropping out bandwagon. Okay, so, so far, France, Spain, Germany are all out. England are going to win the Euros. I don't want to be that person uh, saying it's coming home, so I'm not going to be that person. Um, We will be back with you on Thursday to reflect on the opening match. Very exciting. Johnny Liu, enjoy the cricket. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. It's 167 for four. Oh, thank you very much for the update. Uh, Robin Cowan, <laughs> enjoy uh, learning those Icelandic names. Yeah, I'm now the brain exploding emoji. We'll have to go and see how this works. <laughs> Susie Rack, always a pleasure. I need to get that plug socket off you. I promise you I will bring it to Old Trafford. I shall see you on Wednesday and we shall see you all on Thursday where we'll be reflecting on that opening match between England and Austria. The Guardian's Women's Football Weekly is produced by Lucy Oliver and Jesse Parker Humphreys with additional help from Silas Gray and George Cooper. Music composition was by Laura Iredale and our executive producers are Chessie Bent and Max Sanderson. The Guardian Women's Football Weekly is supported by Visa. This is The Guardian. 